Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for January 29th of 2021. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh for HockeyHeads.com. This week's podcast, uh, the topic is pretty obvious. Uh, Bombshell news from a few days ago that Jim Rutherford resigned as Penguins general manager. Uh, Surprise not only to fan base, people covering them, but also Mario Lemieux, David Morehouse, pretty much the Penguins. So nobody was anticipating this huge news that has huge ramifications. So we're going to go through and talk about the situation, what it means moving forward for the Penguins, where do they go from here, um, our thoughts about how it went down, and, you know, what the Penguins are left with, uh, even roster-wise. So, um, what were your were what were your thoughts? And were when the news broke, were, was it night? Um, I was in bed. I just can't remember whether I was going to bed or whether I was waking up. I just remember. No, I was waking up. Um, to be perfectly honest, it was a bit like. I felt, oh, that's a bit of a relief that he's gone, actually. And I know that sounds odd, but I was a little bit over the whole, oh, I'll call it his shtick. I was a little bit over his shtick in the sense that the most of the stuff he said in the preamble, which was assets are gone, the roster's not as good as it was when, we, when he quite rightly got kudos for the 2016 Cup roster. And ever since then, he's walked away from that style of hockey. And it's really fun to watch that. And we're, we're pushing into, what, year five away from that? And I've probably just got a little bit over the direction of the team and the way the media fawned over him, not really laying out any direct criticism or questions that would require a proper answer. Um and he's had that benefit for his entire general managing career is that he's uh, a pretend open book in that he'll blab his mouth off about a lot of things, always defects blame, never takes it on himself. And I think that annoys me as uh, on a personal level as a person, never actually put his hand up and said, you know what, I screwed up. I'm over him, the person, most of all, because at least for me, I thought it was pretty transparent that he worked over a lot of people in the Pittsburgh media. And he did that with that that stupid folksy grandpa thing that everybody fell for. And he would blab a lot and give content. And what else, but um, what would be better for people who cover the team than to get actual quotes from him and content? But it came at a cost. His availability to them was probably couched in, don't come at me or this pipe is getting shut off. And, um, you know, you're left with people like Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and his coverage of the Penguins through the lens of what Jim Rutherford wanted. I mean, I have, it's, I, it's tough to believe somebody got played that bad. He's a stenographer. He wasn't a reporter. He, He wasn't, yeah, And 
he's probably the biggest guilty party of it. And his article this week that was waxing poetically about his relationship with Rutherford was really cringy because at no point did he realize that he was being used as a pawn <laughs> for Jim's PR purposes. So that stuff got old, and you would notice that anytime the media did push back on him, and it took a little while for the Jack Johnson thing to turn, but it did eventually turn. And then he turned into a giant crybaby on how you don't know, you're not looking at these things. We know, we have information that you don't, and he's just a big baby about it. And, of course, he bought him out because everybody was right. And um, when anybody ever went at him, he he turned into a giant baby. And you got to think about it. He came from close to two decades in, in Carolina, and... What is there? One reporter that was on the beat there, Chip Alexander. Yeah, uh, Sarah, easy, Sarah Sib yeah. was not there yet, no. and I think she probably would have covered the, his tenure there uh, a lot better. And ask, she's a good reporter, so um, you know he got a free pass in Carolina market. Nobody's paying attention to. Not a lot of beat reporters there. They're trying to drum up. Um, interest in the region and um and then he comes here and and does the i'll talk to you thing but he didn't really ever handle criticism well and he deserved a lot of it his uh the latter two-thirds of his tenure so yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where he did win a cup in Carolina and he won two cups in Pittsburgh, right? So it's not like he's atrociously terrible at his job. But it's like he followed advice. If you have a look at what happened in 2016 to then what happened post-2016, right? You could tell that he was listening to people in 2016. After that, it's almost like he went, well, I want a cup, I'm just, I just want to do this my way. And every year, it pushed more and more towards the team of what Carolina was like post post their conference final run in 09 against Pittsburgh, right? That 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 Carolina team, like from 2010 onwards, just had a really bad decline. And Pittsburgh went in the same boat, if you get what I mean. So the reason that it probably hasn't looked like it's had a massive precipitous fall off is that we've got three greats of their era playing in, you know, in, of their position playing in this team who can carry a hell of a lot of the load, even at their age. So he kind of gets covered, um, his base is covered by those three players, but each year it has gotten progressively further away from that 2016 team. And they're, they're conscious choices, like their decisions of let's remove this player, let's bring in a player of, uh, let's let's grit. bring in every like analytically horrible defenseman on the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and, and the thing on top of that, though, is that looks well, like I read Rob Rossi's article this morning, and he's gone in the article. They hired Rutherford because he was one of the early adopters of the analytics, and you go, so what the fuck changed after 2016? Yeah. Like what, what? What did he suddenly? Did he suddenly become like a, a happy clapper Jesus type guy? I went no, no, no. Science doesn't matter. 
I oh, I just I, I don't want to just say like the the Tom Wilson thing. I I do think that played a huge role. But is are we really to believe like Tom Wilson roughing up Zach Aston Reese, even though they won the series and won the cup that year? That is what caused him to derail everything. I mean, I suppose it's plausible. <laughs> they got they've got Sammy Chira, one of the acknowledged best analytics guys going around who's in the league and he's just going to stop listening to him? Well, Uh, I can't speculate on how much um, input was accepted in that kind of stuff. Sam did... Well, Sam consistently has been promoted, so, like, something must, must value him somewhat. But to your point earlier about uh, who's he listening to, this and that, and also Rutherford not being able to take criticism and that kind of stuff. Let, let's look at where the Penguins' front office is right now. It's, not it's here. Bare, they are everywhere it is bare else. bones, which speaks to somebody who wants full control. His two people in there right now, uh, is it Patrick Alvin, Alvin? Yep. And, and Sam, who does not have front office... NHL experience. He's just really smart in the things he's smart at. He's he's gaining that experience now. But that's it. You don't have like a classic assistant general manager. Who's to tell Jim otherwise? The ownership obviously lets him have carte blanche. So he's got this. I I don't. I don't understand his. His his resignation because he got everything he wanted he has total control he has people under him that aren't ready to take his job from him it's not like they would fire him and then i suppose patrick alvin has has is getting the first interview but i don't think anybody would consider that the favorite to take over um so it's a really weird situation which i guess you know let's let's bring it up what the hell with the resignation, right? And at first, you you know, he's, I believe, 71. So you think about he's old enough to be pre- He's old enough to be president. <laughs> no, he's too young for that. Um, That's a good point. Sorry. <laughs> he's, he's 71, so that you, you think health concerns. You think pandemic and the lifestyle of the pandemic and... You know, uh, Rossi did a fluff piece with him about his family life and the pandemic and that kind of stuff. And both of those have been ruled out. So immediately, like the things that you would be like, yeah, totally understand. You you can walk away um, seven games into a season without a front office really in place. Family comes first, right? Family and health. But that's yep, not what happens. Absolutely. So was it the he tried to trade Latang and ownership told him no? Apparently that's been debunked by multiple sources. Um, so what's left? And the only thing that I see that's left is he has an expiring contract in June. The Penguins were like, let's wait and see. And his petty ass took his ball and went home selfishly 
The other thing that I found interesting is he's got there and said, oh, I'm going to retire, right? That was like in the official statement, I think. No, no, it, it is then, lacking, that word. It's the opposite. Well, coming to the... Well, that, that was sort of bringing me around to my point there because I saw a tweet, I can't remember who it was, whether it was LeBruin or somebody else. He basically got there and said, oh, I might retire or I might look at something else. And it's like, you just bail on a team seven games in. And make no bones about it. I feel strongly that that is exactly what happened. And somebody on the Penguins organization in the Josh Yoey and Rob Rossi article um, have reported that quote as a person with the Penguins in Boston described Wednesday as weird, but not as weird as you'd think considering our GM quit on us. <laughs> so yeah. the perception you know, at least from somebody inside, is um, sharing my sentiments. Um, and I'm just an outside speculator. But I am basing this on the information we have. It's not family or health. It wasn't because um, he tried to do a trade and the ownership said no. And I could understand why that would be frustrating as a general manager. Um, although maybe don't <laughs> try to trade dumb dumb trades that ownership would be like what the hell are you doing but but that didn't happen according so he he quit on them and it and it's so in line with his character this isn't like a good person i don't think and no i get that feeling too and it's it's funny you know i'm in a completely different country but when you read certain quotes and you see certain behaviors there's just things about those that on a purely personal level, ignoring the hockey side of it, yeah, I'm just not a massive fan of. Yeah. And he treats, he treated a lot of his players like absolute shit, if we're being honest. Yeah. Over the off season, some of those summers that he left Gino twisting in the wind because he in, insinuated, like he he wouldn't shoot down the trade rumors. He could easily say, yeah, I'm not trading Gino. What, what do you think? I'm nuts? He's great. But he didn't do that. He let his one of the pillars of the franchise twist in the wind. He brings Justin Schultz in. Justin Schultz rewards him with two Stanley Cups. And I'm not implying that Justin Schultz is the driving force of the Stanley Cups. But he is a, he was a very useful depth player. It was a good trade. You get the two Cups. You attach your shitty free agent signing to him for two years. He plays like shit. And then when he's leaving for unrestricted free agency, you eviscerate him? That's, like, what? He's, he's an interesting case study because hockey's a sport where people keep their usually keep their dirty laundry in-house, Right. Very rarely does it sort of get out. It's not like the NBA or the NFL where everything is in the media, right? You pretty much know what everybody's thinking and what everybody's saying about each other. Hockey's usually very buttoned down. And it's something that I don't particularly like about the sport, that it, it's hard for, like, this sort of intrigue and this sort of bitching and moaning is, is or discussion of players and other teams or what's going on in this other team. It's good in regards to getting eyeballs looking at the sport it's just that whenever he did this stuff 
it always felt like he was trying to make sure that he got the first word out there to defend his turf, to defend himself, as opposed to doing anything to cultivate a good, friendly relationship or culture between himself and the playing group. So ignoring like just individual people. So I just, yeah, the, the, the short stuff was really, really piss poor. You know, when the team absolutely flopped in the bubble, um, it, it didn't take him long to start pointing fingers at everybody. Oh, I have the quote right now, and I, I have it up for a reason. So he <laughs> had the nerve to call out the players and insinuate that they didn't want to be there and play hard for him. I don't know. Did some of the players feel they didn't want to put the extra work to stay in the bubble longer? prefer to be with their families nobody knows the answers to all those things but it's very disappointing fuck you jim you said that you're not stepping away because of covid or family you fucking quit you fucking quit on the penguins and you have the nerve to be a hypocrite and say that shit to your players because you built a shitty fucking surrounding cast of players and they hadn't played since March, and then it's August? In the weirdest NHL playoff ever? And you have, and you're going to make that comment, and then months later, quit? I mean, fuck you, dude. <laughs> That's his character. That's who he is. Yeah, I know. His actions. Know. Follow his actions, not his... I mean, well... You can follow his words, too, because they're, they show uh, him being a hypocrite between his words and actions. So, and, you know, this whole, it's personal, I don't want to, uh, my time with the Penguins is good, blah, blah, blah. If it's not health or family, like, why don't you really want to say it? And, it? and the reason is, it makes you look like shit. So, so this is the thing, like, the... He's, he's played the media for the entire time he's been there. You know, one thing that I did I do like about Rob Rossi is that he was never afraid to ask the annoying question, ask the question that nobody wanted no, to Rob, answer. No, Rob will ask questions. I don't have a problem. Right. So this is sort of where I'm at with, with Rossi here. I, I, out of all of the media that cover the Penguins, I would hope that... Well, actually, I would expect him to be the one to actually get to the nuts and bolts of why he's left here and to actually expose it and actually tell everybody why he left. Because Rossi's got no skin left in that relationship anymore. You know, he's left. Rossi doesn't need him for inside information. Rossi can just go and track it down. and <laughs> He can treat get, Rutherford get like and... Rutherford treats all the other players that have left Pittsburgh, that he gives pot shots on the way out. Remember Simone Dupre? How yep. about that blast from the past? The gambling stuff and, 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 and all those innuendos that he would throw out there. Um, you know, he had repeated behavior of, you know, being once, a terrible once, person. Once they're gone. Like, yeah, I, um, I don't have much good to say about him. Um, I will be fair and compliment the moves that he made in a 10 month span. He absolutely, um, took the roster that was gifted to him by Ray. Ray Sherrill left him in a good spot. Yes, left him in did. a great spot. Ray got fired because he screwed up the depth stuff. Ray didn't get fired because the core there was in bad shape. 
And he also left draft picks behind. Jim Rutherford took that, did a great job the second year that he was in Pittsburgh. Because the first year, if you recall, they were a Brandon Sutter goal against the Sabres the last game of the year from missing the playoffs. (laughs) That's right. And people rip on Mike Johnston. Well, who hired him? It was Rutherford, wasn't it? I can never fucking remember. It was Rutherford. And when he fired Johnston, which was correct, Mike Sullivan was actually a Botterill hire for the Baby Penguins because he was the... Uh, he, was running the he was running the Baby Penguins, So, you know, there's that. <laughs> um, but Benino, Kessel, uh, Daly for Scuderi. Uh, I didn't even dislike the Perron trade. He just wasn't a good fit. Perron's a good player. Look at him now. He did great for uh, St. Louis and Vegas. But he turns it into Haglin, who is a better fit. Creates HBK. Best third line in hockey that year. That was amazing. <laughs> that. Cullen, fourth line center. A guy that could be productive in score before the wheels fell off. Um, I'm sure there's others I'm missing. He, he did a really good job. Until he didn't. <laughs> that 10-month stretch, he sat on it. And... It got worse and worse and worse. And when you combine it with his crotchety attitude, that people had the audacity to call him out on, dude, what what's going on with these moves? That Like, you won back-to-back. What are we do? Ryan Reeves, how, how's that going to help? And it just it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And um, here we are. And where we are is the next guy who gets picked has got a hell of a lot more work to do than Rutherford when he took over. Because Sid and Gino are 33 and 34. I think, what, Latang's 33 as well. I think he was the same draft year as Sid, was he not? I think so. Close enough, any, anyways. Yeah, um, they're, they're over 30. <laughs> yeah. They're older now. They need even a better supporting cast. And this supporting cast is just as crappy as the one Cheryl left behind, except there isn't the roster flexibility with draft picks and better prospect pool. Because you had Brian Rust and Jake Gensel who had not made a dent in the lineup when Rutherford took over. Who who are those players for them now? The, the, I, this sort of loops around to... So, rather, that 10-month period you were talking about was unreal, right, in regards to decisions made. But every time Rutherford would fuck up, he would burn an asset or a draft pick because he had to add it to a bad contract. So And his strategy and free agency of, it doesn't have to be a good deal. If I want him, I have to overpay. Yeah, Which is correct. how you get Jack and, Johnson, how you get Brandon Tanev. No, I'm not conflating that Tanev is bad as Johnson, but Tanev's value is not. No matter how many yeah. people want to tell me that he's worth the money, he is not. He's sitting at a 42% expected goals right now, and uh, that's not going to fly considering his offensive limitations. So when I watch Craig Smith on the Bruins score the game-winning goal in overtime and then speed his way around the penguins uh at 3.2 million uh yeah that's not money well spent anyways no no but the the 
those are the put it this way the way Rutherford works there is a very good chance that in 2023-24 he'd probably go and buy out Tanev because it's a bad contract that contract is bad he'd probably Jack Johnson at the end because that'd make Tanev 34 and as soon as Tanev loses any any speed he's really fast he's in trouble right now he is. yeah but as soon as he loses any of his speed he's in trouble because he doesn't have the other skill sets that would you know make up for a lack of speed and the speed so, not see the the tricky part and i don't want to go off on a tanf thing the tricky part is he's very noticeable in a good way that he skates hard and fast and he seems to be around the puck but nothing actually ever happens for yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, I, yeah, you see that in all sports. There are people that you go, oh, geez, he's been busy. And then you look at the statistical numbers after the game and you go, but he never got near it. He never actually did anything. The people go, yeah, yeah, but the pressure creates turnovers. So, well, the numbers don't show that any turnovers actually occurred while he or, was on the Or the, the turnovers didn't occur to anything tangible. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Anyway. It's, it's great to get a turnover in the neutral zone, but if you dump the puck in and then go for a line change, what the fuck's that done? So, you know, where this roster is right now, like Mike Matheson, what do you do with it? Like, what do you do with that? We know he's not great. I know he's played a game. Like, that's, but I'm not going down that road again with people. Well, you got to let Jack Johnson, he's never been a penguin. And it's like, yeah, he's played like fucking 700 games. God forbid, like, you know, you draw a conclusion from that. God, God knows that penguin crest is magical. They'll they'll change. So Mike Matheson has this large Florida sample. We know kind of what he's going to be. Something the penguins did not need. That's what he was going to be. Like Patrick Hornquist, you should have kept him rather than do that trade. And, no, and this is you somebody shouldn't, you shouldn't have re, you shouldn't have re-signed him for what you did. Well, okay. That's the that's the that's the problem. That like he got into this situation. This is why assets go missing. He gets into this situation because of the the bad decision earlier on. And often that's overlooked by the media. They don't get there and go, Well, he had to get rid of Hornquist because of the contract. Yeah, yeah, who fucking signed the contract? Yeah, this isn't a pre- previous uh, regime leaving him with these Kinda problems. Dry. Like, he, like, he's, like, like he's done to whoever takes over his job now. Yeah, basically. And, you know, I've had my criticisms of Patrick Hornquist, and I advocated for trading him for a trade that made sense. It was a Look at dog. the freaking bottom six of these forwards, and there's just nothing there. So why would you trade Horn? Hornquist would have been their best bottom six player, which is problematic in its own way. To what? Bring in Mike Matheson when you already signed Pedersen to a $4 million contract? You already have Brian Dumoulin, who's attached at the hip to Latang, and justifiably so because they're really great together. Yes. And I'm not talking <laughs> about the 2021 season. The Penguins are struggling right now. But the larger sample... And you bring in an unneeded, unmovable asset, eating up your mid-tier cap space? 
Sid and Gino are getting older. So is Latang. They need more help now, not less. But you've given them nothing. And you've given the next person nothing to work with. How do you clear space? Like, his big plan was, oh, I'll, I'll do free agency. Okay. Who's coming off the books? Who's the big uh, cap hit that's coming off the books so that you can go dive in and overpay in free agency? I, there, there really aren't that many options there. So you got guys like Matheson and Tanev um, eating up quite a bit of space, and it's it's just problematic. Brian Rust will be due a new deal, and I don't think you want to be the one to give him that, given that he's like... No, he has... Whoever the next general manager is, I, I think is basically going to be at the point of having to let certain players walk that you probably don't wouldn't normally want to if you are quote unquote in a win now window. Which they do have a mandate to win. David Morehouse was very Correct. clear about the hire. You are to win now. So where where's the support coming from? Who's getting traded? Because if you trade somebody with value, well, that's likely the problem with a win now window is the people you're trading that have value are needs that you have and can't create that hole. You, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. There is a big sigh there because we, this podcast has seen this coming for the last three years, really. Been a when slow they went motion for their crash. Peat, yeah, when they went for their three P, the roster had already been deconstructed away from what made them good. Right? I, I think everybody in the podcast knows that that's how we felt. And then each year it's been a step further and further away. Some of from some the of it understandable. Model. Like they did. Well, in hind, I I, I want to judge them in the moment, not in hindsight. Nick Benino wanting four mil, it was understandable to be like, ah, geez, I, I don't think we can do that. And no, I, I, I agree. I agree with in that. In hindsight, what do you he, replace he him chases with? that hole with Riley Sheehan, Derek Broussard, Nick Bugstad. Like, think of that asset train of all the wasted assets that he burned through because, you know, he's got to make trades because he's got ADD as far as being a... a a horse trader goes. I th- I'd be, I'd, it would be absolutely fascinating to understand the process that was used to make those decisions. Gut feeling. Because Benino's not the fastest skater, right? But the two guys that he skated with were freaking lightning. So you'd have to make the assumption that you go, all right, well, I don't need speed down the middle. I just need it just need the puck to be able to get to the guys that can skate. But, you know, when you lose when you lose Haglund as well, one of the things with Haglund being faster than Kessel is that he pushes the defenseman back so that Kessel can do his thing and then the, then the third forward, often the centre because he's slower, could enter the zone later and with all that space created, gave those guys the ability to do what they do. Now... How do they go about trying to replace a guy? Like, that line, theoretically, probably shouldn't have worked, if you think about it. They just clicked. And and how do you go about replacing that when 
the numbers would probably be difficult to try and go, all right, these are the things they were good at. Well, the following year, that line wasn't very good. It's it's why Kessel played with Malkin. (laughs) No, but you you, you sit there with Benino, and it's like, not signing him was the right call, right? We both agree with that um, at four mil. But uh, it's like he, he, he can't, he can't assess talent very well, and it's like he's just throwing mud up against the wall, and sometimes it sticks, and sometimes it slides down to the floor. And if you throw mud against the wall often enough, some's going to stick. It doesn't feel like there's any rhyme or Nothing reason to what he does. Nothing has stuck recently. No, and, and that's, that's the thing. Because it's such a raffle, because he's just throwing mud up against the wall, he's just, it, it's like a guy... Trying to get, trying not to get snake. You know what I mean? Just he's at the craps table, and he's just got. Oh, next, next throw of the dice will be fine. Next roll of the dice will be fine, and it's and not. Snake eyes. It just hasn't happened. Yeah, he's got snake eyes quite a bit lately, and that's why the assets are shorter and shorter and shorter. And if you have a look at this year, the Jason Zucker trade is looking a little problematic. Like who knows? It's a shortened year. He might. There, there are things that are happening this season that you could say Pittsburgh have had some lucky runs. This could just be an accumulation of all the karma coming back on those lucky runs that they have no luck this year, that nobody... Like, Malkin has to get going or this team is toast. So far, he hasn't been able to. Maybe he has a year where just nothing clicks for him and he's he is not the Malkin that the Penguins need him to be. I mean, you can't just, do anything about that. That's not... That one's not Rutherford's no, that, that, fault, but not saying that's on Rutherford. But overall, you can often get a stink in a in a room sometimes that just the the cloud of ugh, it just can't get shaken. I've played in football teams that have been like that, where you look at the players you're playing with and you go, "We should be better than this. Why are we not better than this?" And whatever the funk is across the team, no one can break out to 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 break it away. And to me, watching this team seven or eight games in. It has that feel to it. It has a feel of a team that's just, uh, and no one at the moment can break it out. I overall feel the same, like like a long-term projection. In this moment, I'm not too worried about how they look, especially against Boston, of all teams. They're missing their whole left side of the defense. Um, oh, no, no, I know. I, yeah, but the thing is, though, injuries injuries are a problem with that. I mean, they this are, team, but I, this... you you take a left side from any team, and it's like, okay. Oh, it's hell. No, I understand that. I, I do get the problem with that. But even though it's one like, of those things, you know, Matheson, whatever, Pedersen's just a guy, right? He's yeah, but he's special. NHL. He's he's at least he's at least NHL level. Pierre Olivier Joseph is showing a little flashes that I like. Um, but you're asking quite a bit of him. Yeah. So yeah. it's um, even when they're fully healthy, it's, I don't know. We've been saying it a while. Like this bottom six, it, he, he, Mark Jankowski stinks. <laughs> he's, he scored the first shift or whatever. And uh, since then, He's he's a 36% expected goals player for the season. What, and what did and what did we say at the start of the year? The bottom six just have to hold their own and occasionally score. And right now, the bottom six is, is unable to do that. Nor is the top six. Um, I know Malkin's a big problem there. Um, no 
no getting around that. He even looks bad. So metrics, eye test, the whole deal. He looks bad. He came out with quotes today. He knows he sucks right now. Um, it's not lost on him. I'll say this. Sid better get it going, too. And while he's pushing 60% expected goals, he's playing way better than Gino. At some point, he he needs to produce tangible offense for this whole operation to work. And right now, he does not have a 5-on-5 five five goal, to my knowledge. His points per 60 entering yesterday's game was like 1.2 at even strength. That's not yeah, going to cut t- no, and it's one of those things where the, the sad part for Crosby and Malkin is that this team can't afford them to be under two. No. They, it, just, they just can't. I mean, points yeah. per 60s are pretty volatile early in the year, but for Sid to have a 1.2, I mean... Well, it's like, it's like Sid and Gino can't afford to have a one in front of that, whereas like the goaltender has to have at least a nine in front of their save percentage. Oh, and, well, they and, don't have that. <laughs> no, and, and they won't for quite some time, the way their numbers are looking at the moment. But, but Jake Gensel yeah, is th- like a 1.09 points per 60 guy. Uh, that's not going to cut it. So their three best studs offensively are not doing anything at even strength. And then now, to the point it... you just brought up, the goaltending is league worst. We said league average, something around there. I mean, it's not even close. I, I, I know you said this, it might have been two podcasts ago. You were a little worried with the fact that Jerry looked a little bit blur towards the end of the year, um, as opposed to the ridiculousness that he had at the start of the year, right? You weren't expecting him to be this bad. No, I, like, I, I no. Why? The thing that I find interesting, I know you, you, you picked on the whole, he looks like Fleury circa 2010 to 2013, but he pl- he's playing like Fleury in the sense yeah, that... Yeah, he's spastic. Fleury's, he's all over the place. Yeah, c- correct. And, and you're just watching him and it's like, where did all that calmness and confidence go? Like, what is going on? We've seen goaltenders come and go, flash of the pans all the time in, in the league. Like I think of Jim Carrey uh, as, a, as an example in, in the back of my head in regards to a guy that was tagged to be unreal. Samsonite, that was off, way off. off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jim Carrey. Um. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you just you, you see guys that you know are tagged to be the, the next thing, and they have a, a good year, maybe two. And then it just all falls apart on them because they don't have the technical aspects of their game to, to stick it out in the league. And I'm terrified now that this team's committed three years to Jerry. And I wasn't I was actually really happy with the decision they made. And I don't I don't blame Rutherford for making that decision. No. Um, well but, this contract did not have to be three point five million because there are other comparables out there. And those goalies, yes. uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, for example, did not sign for $3.5 million. No, I, yes, I understand that. Effort of it, but he needed to be re-signed and, and Murray needed to be traded. Uh, oh, um, 100%. Now, no, yeah. no objection to any of that. It's just... But you are right. Like, the contract itself is not optimal for the team. Well, my point is, like, Jari's sample was minuscule. I mean... 
for an NHL sample, and he's an RFA. So who are you bidding against? That that was that's always Rutherford's thing. Who are you bidding against? Nobody's sending an RFA offer sheet for um, Tristan Jari. I mean, get real. Well, it's a ten if thing. Who is who? Who? Yeah. So to to your Jari Murray thing, I'm looking at lowest goals saved above expected. So worst goalies in the league. The second worst goalie in the league at minus six point nine is Matt Murray. Jesus. The worst goalie in the league is Tristan Jari at minus seven point (laughs) five. So here's the thing. People are going to say, oh, the Penguins defense is, isn't is good, blah, 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 blah. Listen, he's an NHL goalie. He needs to have a high danger save percentage that isn't shit. All right? Best league in the world. You're a starting goalie in it. Do better. And this metric is showing you, based on the shots and locations where he's getting them, he's underperforming worse than any goalie in the league other than the guy he took the job from. <laughs> that just sounds so funny when you hear that out loud. But these numbers do have context for how the Penguins have played in front of them. And I know a lot of people want to say the Penguins are yard sale right now, but defensively they really haven't been. And according to Micah Blake McCurdy's um, you know, team defense thing, I believe they're minus 14%, which is above average defensively they've actually been pretty good it looks worse because jari isn't saving anything i don't i don't know it's the same with every team in the league if you don't get any goaltending your season's cooked um but i i don't think sullivan's very flexible well, I don't, and and this is this is probably the thing that I griped about the most with Bosma towards the end. He had no ability to adjust what he was doing. It's like, well, this worked before; it will eventually work again. Sullivan feels the same way. It's like, well, I've won two cups; I don't have to change what I'm doing. This will work. The players were just on goal last night, with a couple of them coming at the very end in nothing time. I don't think he changed the lines once. Well, you know, we had this conversation on Twitter. They, I think they need, whoever the GM is that comes in, he needs, they need just to bring in another coach. I think this team's had enough of this voice. All right, so let's transition to who that GM is, but to finish your point on the coach, or to me to make a point on the coach, I do think they need to move away from Mike Sullivan and that doesn't mean he will not go on and and be successful with another team but we've seen very good coaches get canned all the time it happens he's not doing anything to propel this roster towards um overachieving anymore I'm not saying they overachieved in um the 2015-16 cup that that was a badass team um but they're not going to overachieve right now not even close. So, okay, new coach, Bruce Boudreaux, Gerard Gallant. Great. Oh, wait. It's a pandemic, and the Penguins are clearly cheaping out. You can judge by their stripped-down front office. 
they certainly didn't think Rutherford was uh, going to step away. Otherwise, they probably would have made some hires, but they didn't. So they're cheaping out on the front office. They're not going to come in and sign a new coach for money. You're going to get Todd Reardon or um, Vellucci. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. So is that really? I don't know. Does that it's the whole reason? The it's the whole reason Reardon. It's the whole reason Reardon's there. That if they want to get there and give give him the ass, that's who they'll bring in. Yeah, I'm, I, it's the whole reason they brought him across. It, it doesn't uh, move the needle for me, even though I do think um, it is time to rip the Band-Aid off from the back-to-back cups. Now with Rutherford gone, and I don't know, a lot of people say, oh, it's because he wouldn't fire Sullivan, or he wanted to fire Sullivan and wouldn't let... I, I don't, honestly, no idea. Uh, but Rutherford isn't here, and now I think Sullivan should probably um, join him, to be honest. And what do you want to do, new coach or GM first? Well, it's going to have to be the new GM. I don't think they're going to fire Sullivan in the next three weeks. So, um, so I'm going to start with um, what I I looked at, and we have a lot of retread names out there. You got your Peter Chiarellis, you have your Dale Talons. Uh, your Pierre Maguire's. I mean, if the Penguins are going to... I don't think they're going to go <laughs> Chiarelli. I, I can't say for sure about no Dale Talon. Apparently, Rutherford pushed back on Dale Talon. So, Jim, I'm hard on you today, but good good on you for pushing back on that one. Um, if you're going to burn the fucking thing to the ground, let's go full Pierre. I want to see that <laughs> egomaniac fuck it up with Crosby and Malkin so everybody can laugh at his stupid ass. Like, that's what I want, if you're going to be stupid about it. But yes, I don't think yes, that yes. is. So, so I did look at a retread, and I here's the deal. They, I would normally look towards giving somebody a shot that's not done it before. But this is a unique situation where Rutherford really screwed him over mid-season with it without the bones of a normal front office. I think he kind of have to hire somebody who's done it before just from the not having a learning curve on how to, you know, conduct everyday business running a yeah, franchise, right? Yeah. So... It led me to Mike Gillis, who's been brought up a little bit in the past. He hasn't had a job since Vancouver. And the reason I found Mike Gillis is because on Reddit, they posted what his son accidentally tweeted out, and it was seems to be his entire pitch to become the Penguins' president of hockey operations. And notice I didn't say GM. He thinks that he would be better as a a president of hockey operations. I'm not against that. He's also was the GM in Vancouver, so he can step in right now and do those things. Maybe stay as the president and then hire a GM under him when the Penguins can buy more time. And the reason that I was intrigued by him is that portfolio that got released. Um, 
had some really interesting stuff in there, and it spoke to some of the things that I thought made sense to me. So I'm not going to obviously read page for page, but here are some excerpts that I thought were notable. He says in the style of play stuff, the NHL has transitioned into a style of play that is fast and highly skilled with league-wide emphasis on puck possession. This is the system I adopted as GM of the Canucks from 08 to 13. Well, that 2010-11 Canucks team was pretty fucking good. Yeah, no. Um, so you can see that he's made a go of it. He, he obviously made mistakes as GM. He blundered their whole goaltending situation with Luongo and Schneider. Uh, but also in this thing was him reflecting on his mistakes. And he goes and explains how he's gone out of his way to learn from them and look into other analytics and things like that. So I'm acknowledging he screwed up. I'm also acknowledging that he seems to acknowledge that and looking to move forward to not do that again. So um, he said working with Elaine Vigneault to change the Canucks defensive style of play to a high event offense centric strategy grounded in objective analytics based thinking was a core objective of mine. So I, that, that speaks to me. What have I said? I don't give a shit about defense. Look at the forwards you got. Let's rock and roll, baby. We got high event hockey. <laughs> Let's go. That should be the focus. One, because that's the forwards and strengths. That's Latang and, and Crosby and Malkin in a nutshell. And also, is this not an entertainment product? Is that not what yes, you want to watch? I... So well, it, it, look for us, yes, but for them, winning's the only way they keep their job. So, but but he's stating like that's where he wants to go with it. I'm assuming I, yes, he would I, yeah. try to make acquisitions of players and move out players that don't fit that. So I liked seeing uh, something like that, um, and then you know the problem is. How does he get back? Let's assume that Gillis is the hire or anybody. How do you get back to that? <laughs> Rutherford's well, left him this, a hand this, grenade. I know they're saying win now, win now, win now. This particular season, if if I if it ends up just being freaking Alvin for the for the the rest of this season, if I was him, I would get there and go, who can I ship out so that we end up with some cap space? Right, and just try and do it and go, if we make the playoffs, great. Marcus Patterson. We don't. Is the answer to that. If Pierre-Olivier Joseph continues to show competency, you got to trade Patterson's $4 million because there's just... He, he is not giving you that value. He's just a guy. Right? I'm assuming Matheson can't be moved in this... Otherwise, no, that I, would be I, the, yeah. the answer. Matheson, Tanev. But that's what he has to try and do. Matheson, Tanev, Pedersen are my trio of contracts. Where, and Jared McCann's up there now, too. Of, all right, you got to move something out. So much like Jim Rutherford totally revamped the bottom six when he took over, the next GM has to totally revamp his bottom six in his uh, mid-tier players. So... Um, so how do you do it? Well, Mike Gillis 
in his attitude section of his presentation had quite a passage and it was hockey's old guard has been rattled with countless hockey men dismissing innovative analytic and human performance techniques out of fear aversion to change and in many cases an inability or unwillingness to change their worldview and learn new concepts hey sounds good right it does. Yeah. Lev- no, I, I, I understand why you leave more what's killing. Leveraging long established relationships with the media, members of this old boys club have disparaged these novel tools and those who rely on them. Despite the strategies yielding remarkable results that have shattered conventional hockey wisdom, like defensemen need to play 300 games before you know they're good. Travel and fatigue have no quantifiable effect on team record. Small prospects can't excel at higher levels. As a result, an outdated, ineffective way of doing business has persisted long past its expiration date. For those of us committed to innovation, today's NHL provides substantial opportunity to extract value. That's how you unfuck the roster. (laughs) As Mark Twain once said, it isn't what you don't know that kills you. It's what you know to be true just ain't so i mean that's strong yeah that's a strong like if you're trying to undo rutherford mistakes that entire section right there that's the attitude you have to have because you're not going to do it the old way you're going to have to get creative yeah so i suppose the thing that i find interesting with with everything that's said there you go I think about I think about I think about Lemieux, and I go I feel like he is a part of that old school guard, right? You know, famously he was a guy that never trained. Famously he was a guy that didn't really look after himself. Then he hurt his back, and then he sort of started to get on top of those sorts of things. I just feel like Lemieux is a little bit of a part of the problem for the whole let's transition into to actually following the science of what's going on here. And, and follow the mathematicians and go, right, if we have a choice between two players and they're exactly the same mathematically, yeah, I'll go the guy that you think's got the greater heart and the greater work rate. Sure, I'll do that. But if you're going to go with two guys who, who's considered to have more heart and grit, but his numbers are worse, I'm not taking that guy on. And there's a part of me that I feel like Lemieux thinks that way. And if he's going to be more involved in the decision-making on this one that's said... I don't think Gillis gets a look in. And if you have a look at the Rob Rossi article... He's not listed. The five guys... Sorry? Yeah, he's he, yeah he's not listed. It does say in there that, oh, if they find somebody else that blows them away, they'll consider it. But the five shortlisted guys that they've got down there... Um, I absolutely forgot that Chris... Well, actually, I won't say I forgot. I didn't even know Chris Drury was a freaking assistant GM. <laughs> yeah, you, you had said that before. Um, the podcast. Uh, I mean, I know because he... He spurned the Sabres and then uh, went to the Rangers and started working there. Um, so I knew he was kind of doing that thing. But, um, you know, to your Lemieux point, I don't disagree with any of it. What I will say, Mike Gillis is, quote-unquote, is a hockey man. He was a pretty high-end player agent for a while and then became a general manager. So he's got that hockey man background. He's just not thinking like the hockey man, at least, at least he's putting on a good show with saying yes, yes. those kinds of things. 
Um, but as far as the Rossi article that had the early shortlist for Penguins GM, Chris Drury, John Ferguson Jr., Ron Hextall, I seem to be hearing a lot. I think that one is probably one of the um, front runners for sure. Um, Chris McFarland of the Colorado Avalanche, he's an assistant GM. I'm not going to lie, I, I actually do not know much about him. But the fact that he's working in Colorado, and Colorado has adopted one of the most modern front offices in the league, and I think their trading and roster construction speaks for itself right now. I'm intrigued there, so I'll look into that a little bit more. And then you have Scott Mellenby, who's an assistant GM of the Canadians. Honestly, I don't have much interest in Drury or Mellenby as former players getting a first crack at a GM to close out the Crosby Malkin era. They may turn out to be quality candidates down the road. I don't want to throw my hat into that ring of former player that doesn't have experience right now. Yeah, not not this go around, no. Like the last two to three years of this section, yeah, it's got to be somebody that. Particularly because there's no one below them. Like it's, it'll be the general manager and Alvin. That's all they've got in their front office. They haven't got any other assistant GMs or anything like that. That's going to be it. You don't really want to throw the, the timing. Somebody. They yes. need a thing now because again, Jim took his ball and went home like a crybaby. And if it was the end of June and like Rutherford wasn't a dickhead, and you know, okay. I'm not getting my extension. I'm going to honor my contract. You know, then, you know, I'm a little bit more open to some of these other options. I, I would be too if the if the league reopens for 2021-22 normally in that the crowds are back um, and teams can start making money again. Because Pittsburgh will probably spend in the front office, right? Because they did. They cheaped right out in the front office. And and so you, you look at that and go, I'd be more comfortable with a... Uh, wrong term to use, but I'll use it. Uh, be more comfortable with a beginner if the beginner can have... It doesn't. They don't even have to be experienced uh, assistants around him. He just has to have more people around him so they can go and do some of the work. And, you know, here's the other thing. Again, to my Mike Gillis point of him wanting to be more of a president, having him there to guide, if you want to, bring up Patrick Alvin, who people, um, I think, said pretty bright guy himself, just not a lot of experience. And furthermore, Sam Ventura, who has been climbing the ladder, I've heard people say, oh, well, Sam Ventura for GM. And it's like, well, is that really fair to Sam to put him in this spot without any experience at all? Do we really, like, that's a lot to ask of somebody. Uh, I, and if I was Sam, I'd say no. <laughs> I know, that's what because, I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, because you're just going to burn, you could just burn your career. So my, Like, you get in there and, and it falls apart on you altogether. In, in gonna, a high-profile you know I mean? job, there's no hiding. No, correct. And, but here's what you can do. You can do what Carolina did with Eric Tolsky 
you have the Don Waddell who's running the phone and you have Tolsky who's doing the, the dirty work behind the scenes. Let Elvine and Sam do the dirty work. You hire a Gillis to do the phones and, and, and this whole uh, operation. And he seems to be more than accepting of somebody of that, of that mindset, right? He's speaking about analytics and pushing the boundaries. You already yeah. have a Sam Ventura. You have a great asset there. Hire a guy like Gillis who's willing to listen to him. Gillis can do the day-to-day bullshit that, you know, somebody like, <laughs> like Sam. And I'm not demeaning. Like, Jim Rutherford could do the day-to-day bullshit. Like, he was good at that. Yeah. Um, that was a strength of his. Obviously, he he knew where that fucking phone was to make a trade. <laughs> I mean, he was on it. That was a strength. Who he actually... Uh, the names he used in those phone calls, maybe not so much. Um, but you get what I'm saying? Like, use the Carolina model. Embolden Sam while directing him towards success because you have a guy that's been there, done that, knows how to work all the things that go into being a general manager. At least that's my opinion on it. No, I I agree. I it, it's one of those things where they're in they're in between a rock and a hard place, and they were even yeah. if Rutherford stayed. Yeah, no, it, yes, it's just the, the yeah, it's it's like Homer Simpson in the movie, between a rock and a hard place, and the rock falls on top of him in the end. <laughs> that's that's where the that's where the club's stuck right now, and they kind of have themselves to blame, I suppose. I mean. They thinned out their front office and the guy that they thought was probably going to just take it through, like you said, until June. At least June. They could like, at, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing the but, Penguins were like, just let's wait and see. Maybe there would have been an extension. Who knows? I mean, I guess I'm obviously speculating, but we went through this earlier in the podcast. Like... Where what could it possibly be when you rule out all these things that he said it's not, and we're supposed to take him at his word because that's like his thing, right? Well, yeah, he's he's honest, Joe, isn't he? So it'll be very interesting. Um, I have heard Hextall from a few different people, and. I think he did a great job with Philly in the sense that look at their farm system and where it's led them. They're a good team right now, and that has a lot to do with Ron Hextall's work. Um, Where I think that he might not be a good fit for Pittsburgh, it is not because he chased Mario Lemieux or Rob Brown with his goalie stick in the 80s. (laughs) It is because he got fired because he wouldn't take the next step with the Flyers. He wouldn't trade anything. You, you get what I'm saying? Like he was, he, he was yeah, patient. He, he fell in, to a fault. He fell in love with these pros. He fell in love with these prospects and and wanted the wanted the entire prospect system to come up and that's and show it wasn't necessarily yeah. wrong, but he's not in that patient situation right now in Pittsburgh. It is we have maybe one or two years left. You need to go out and fucking make some trades. He didn't really show that with his time in Philadelphia. So I don't think he's a bad candidate overall. I think he's a bad fit for what the Penguins need right now. Two years' time, 
And I, I, I keep saying two years time because that's when Latang and Malcolm's contracts up, right? So to me, that's when you you have to kind of assess with those two players. It's a conversation you have with those two players in regards to what do you two want to do? Do you want to extend through to the end of Crosby's contract and we keep having a crack until we get to the I end? I hope that's the route it goes, to be honest. Uh, yeah, but you just you just don't know. And, and so I, I would like that to be the case. So all three of them could retire together and it's one whole last hurrah kind of thing. Oh, it'd also be the Brandon Tanner retirement from the club. Um, not the Mike Matheson. You, no. <laughs> and, and, and then you're left with poor old Marino <laughs> hanging around. Um... You, it, that that to me like, as soon as you get to the end of 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 the the three headed monster, right? As soon as you get to the end of those three, whether it ends up one leaves or both leave, that's when you would grab a guy like Hextel, and you would go, we're a mess. We need to have the farm system get rebuilt. We need to obviously acquire tradable assets, whether that be draft picks or you know what I mean. Like you have to go and rebuild, like get all of that back in and just acquire all those draft picks, I would trust his ability to be able to draft players and, and whatnot, as long as you let him collect the staff that he wants to do that. I like, suppose if you're going to hire a guy, why Hext- wouldn't you? Well, this, well, I don't know. This team, like we saw this year, gutted their front office. Well, I think that was pandemic-related. A combination of Rutherford being like, eh, I'm pretty good, nobody's bothering me. I'll run everything. Um, and then the Penguins being like, all right, fine by us. We're losing money left and right. <laughs> Great. We don't have to hire yeah. anybody. Yeah. And... No, I, you are you are right. You, you are correct in the sense that it's it will be pandemic related and all that kind of stuff. But if you we haven't seen what these owners are like with a bad team, right? Mm-hmm. They've had a team that's been successful the entire time they've had it. How do they go about it when Pittsburgh fans don't turn up at the arena because we have a history of doing that? What happens when the money starts to dry up? Where do they actually put their finances? If they if they gut the volume of money that's in the roster but keep the money elsewhere so they can then improve the roster, I'm okay. But if they, you know, keep... If they have a really bad roster and they're still on top of the cap and then they cut all the money out of the stuff to improve the roster... Around outside off the ice, that's when I start to get worried about an ownership. Yep. So that's that's that. That's the, the Rutherford era is over. I I welcome that fact. Um, but man, it's I don't think it's any surprise. Um, I thought that he would be uh, fired by promotion. If. Yeah, um, yeah, you said that a couple of years ago, actually. I didn't think he would just quit, be just up and quit, and you know, show his pettiness that way. The thing that I find interesting with that is that he's won three Stanley Cups, right? That will outweigh the pettiness of his exit here. So, say he puts his hand up at the end of this season and goes, "You know what? I wouldn't mind having another general manager job." He'll be in the mix across any team, I think. Yep. To have a go no, at it, and, no and that that kind of frustrates me because my wife comes up with a, a term for politicians, which is they seem to fail up, particularly if you're a white man over forty. 
<laughs> yeah. And usually. it just it just yeah it just feels like Rutherford has managed to fail his way up. And this would be another example of that. You you go and quit on a team with no real reason that you're willing to discuss for a guy that is a blabbermouth. And for reasons that, that would... you could understand not discussing health or family. But outside of that, like, Correct. what are you really hiding from? Yeah, and, and and you'd get there. And I am assuming that if, if a team... I'll just use Ottawa for the sake of it. If Ottawa got there and went, oh, you know, let's have a look at Rutherford here you would assume that they would go and talk to the Penguins and go, hey, why did he leave? And I, I would hope Pittsburgh uh, would get there and say, he left because of this. Or at worst, they're spiteful and said, oh no, he left because of this. Like, tell them the truth either way, but you would hope it would be because of option A, as opposed to the spiteful option B, we fucking are pissed at Rutherford, we're not going to give him a glowing review and allow him to get another job. It'll be interesting when it comes out, but there's a lot of boxes that have been checked off on what it's not, if you're to believe the reporting. So I think contract extension not being a thing is is what happened. So instead of uh, doing right by the team, that got him pretty much a lock to be in the Hall of Fame. He said, no, thank you. And that's a good point, actually. And um, you know, from the the article, <laughs> I mean that Penguins player, not as weird as the GM quitting on us. So that that thought, what I'm saying is at least with some people in the organization, is festering as well. So, you know, I think I'll say this. Jim Rutherford, you had a great 10-month stretch, but everything else was shit. It's not a real glowing endorsement of a guy that's been there for, what, is it seven years? Uh, it would be seven this... Um, so six six and a fraction. Yeah. 2014 he was Six hired. and a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So... It does show you how you can ride your coattails on, and it was an exceptional ten months. I like it's one of those things where it's like I certainly wasn't expecting it to go very well but at all. You want to know what? Here's here's the other thing. All the things I was saying at the end of the Shero thing, you can't do this. You got to do this. You got to get these type of players in there. Um, like that's what happened. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. I'm not tooting my own horn here. It was obvious. Things I said to improve the team were obvious. Rutherford did those things, and they won. And then he stopped doing those things, and they lost. I don't think it sounds a lot. You know, like sounds a lot like Joe. Sounds a lot like Joe Biden. He's looking after COVID, and he's doing all right. You wait until he stops doing the stuff that he said he'd do. I just... Um, it's the same thing. Like, if you go back to my 2014, 2015 blogs, criticizing, like, what are we doing here? And then when Rutherford started going on his roll, I had tons of great things to say about it. Because it all made sense. And then I stopped, the and then I stopped yeah. <laughs> complimenting him because his moves started to suck. It's almost it's, like it's I reacted that... to what happened. I don't understand how you walk away from that process. And you are right. You bring up the Wilson stuff. 
that was the that was the red flag to Rutherford, and he went, "No, we've got to change and go this direction instead." Right? I it just one one incident. It it, it can't be that one incident that did it. Surely, it may well be, but you understand why I'm sitting there going, I don't understand the logic behind this. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So it's just bizarre how it was a, he was walking down a particular path, he hit a fork in the road, and as far as you and I are concerned, took the wrong path, right? And didn't, and he got to another fork in the road and continued to take the part, the fork that went to the right every single time as opposed to taking the fork that was to the left, which is the speed and skill aspect. It's almost, it's almost like every single trade since has been another shift away from that philosophy. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just baffling how a person that had 10 months of let's do it this way to then suddenly changes it to go the other. Mm-hmm. So... Well, I, I, I want to say I think we covered all the bases. I mean, with a topic this big it's you, you always feel like you're leaving something out but oh well have me something i hope i hope we did i hope we covered a lot of it <laughs> um you can't you can't say we didn't have any strong takes in there no i don't think we held any punches so we always have that going for us so <laughs> um all right uh, i guess that'll do it um Penguins will have the Rangers this weekend, which is a welcome sight. I mean, I don't think the Rangers are, like, horrible, but, like, it's better than playing the Bruins back-to-back again. So, yeah, um, you know, maybe the Penguins bounce back a little bit. They're going to have to. Thankfully, they have these points banked that they did with all those comebacks because um, things could go south quick, and there's no GM to do anything about it. So, um Hopefully they can bank some more points and buy some time for Pittsburgh to figure out this front office situation. So that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, as always, for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. See you, guys.